0: Thinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. This is the Overthinking It book club, and we are reading the comic book series Saga by Brian Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Uh, I am Ben Adams, your host for this uh, this series of the book club, and we this is the second episode of the book club. We'll be discussing chapters four through six of the series. Uh, we had a great, great discussion last week uh, for our first week, and I'm looking forward to uh, diving back in. Uh, we've got a great panel. Uh first in alphabetical order uh, hailing from Canada, Richard Rosenbaum. Hello Richard.
1: Hey Ben, how's it going?
0: Uh great to have you on. Uh next uh all the way from Brooklyn and on a pair of tin cans, we've got Jordan Stokes. <laughs> how's it going? And next from uh, Los Angeles, Matt Rather. Hey, Matt.
2: Hey, uh, and I have a cold, so it just sounds like I'm on a pair of tin cans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Outstanding. Well, uh, we're we're gonna get started with our panel uh, as we did last week. I think this was uh, was a fun way to get launched in. We'll be asking each of you for the panel of the panel. What's uh, since this is a, a visual medium? What's the, the kind of the most arresting image from these these four uh, these three? Pardon me, chapters of the series. Uh, so Richard, we'll start with you. What is uh, what is your panel for the panel?
1: All right, my panel for this panel is uh, toward the end of chapter six. We get uh, after they've gone into the, they've managed to find the uh, rocket ship forest, and uh, they've got inside their rocket ship tree, and there's a beautiful panel of the of the ship launching up into space and it's just so it, it, the the flame is green and it's really organic and it's this just vaguely rocket-shaped tree thing and I'm really a sucker for uh, this kind of melding of organic and technological stuff uh, and that really got me that was something that I had to look at for a really long time
2: Another thing it does really well is it conveys a sense of motion very it absolutely does Very like, yeah. dynamically in a static image.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that Fiona Staples is really, really, it's one of the many things that she was really good at. Um, yeah, you get a lot of movement. That's very true, too.
0: And I, I like the uh, the the one little word bubble in there is the, the idea that you you don't steer a rocket ship but instead you ride it, and I think that yep. goes goes really well with the the animation here. You get you really get the feeling of just being inside that and letting it letting it go take go where it Ab- wants to go.
1: Absolutely, that's like a that's a very Doctor Who kind of idea. Also, like the TARDIS kind of takes you not necessarily where you want to go, but where it thinks that you need to be.
2: Yep. Yeah, it takes, it, can, it takes you where you need to go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it takes you where you deserve to go. Oh, good point. <laughs>
0: oh, there we go. Well, uh, next, uh, Jordan Stokes, what is your uh, panel for the panel?
3: I think my panel for the panel is the first image in issue five, which is Prince Robot the Fourth reading on the toilet. Uh, there are a couple of things that are interesting about this. One is that it's a robot taking a dump. I'll say that again. It's a robot. Taking a dump, Uh, but the other thing that's kind of neat is that so I'm looking at this on a uh, an ebook version, and I've got like the screen of my laptop, the LCD screen of my laptop, and within that there is a window which represents a comic book, and in that comic book panel there's a man with a CRT screen for a head who is sitting on the toilet looking down at a paperback novel, and that kind of like amalgamation of media. That is uh, particular to the the way that I'm actually consuming the thing, yeah. But uh, everyone has their own version of that. It's really kind of interesting. There's also something interesting about the bathroom that's depicted there, right? It's just this row of toilets. There's no dividers. So it's an interesting kind of combination of, on the one hand... A very biological thing, one of the the most biological things. And on the other hand, there's something kind of machine age about it, right? Like, I can sort of believe that if robots had to use toilets, this would be the, the bathroom that the robots would have.
0: And I should also say the, the one little added detail that I like, at least in the uh, the trade paperback version that I have, the opposing panel is a like dramatic portrait of Prince Robot the fourth with like his hand on a globe and looking off majestically in the distance. So I just love the contrast of the two that, yes, even the guys with the the kingly robes and uh, majestic poses have to take dumps every once in a while. And, and maybe televisions they, for heads. Right. <laughs> and maybe they enjoy reading comic books when they're on the can.
2: Is that well right? Like who who doesn't? Um, Isn't it funny that we say take a dump when it's actually more like uh, giving.
1: I'm sure that there's a linguistic uh, reason for that.
2: Um, I mean, it's the the utilitarian aspects of the latrine that strike me as being military, right? Like, there's no concession to comfort or privacy. Uh, it's really just more there for the for the biological function. And I think he's uh, he's on cleave. I think because they're still on cleave. Um, but uh he's not where Marco and alana uh are right he's back at at headquarters uh and the news is about to come that they that they've uh you know that they've come so he's he's not i mean this sense of sort of stasis this sense of sort of just sitting around is all the more'cause he's not he's not even on a on a like spaceship or on some sort of transport like searching for for them he's just kind of awaiting news uh Awaiting news of those guys.
3: And it's revealing of his character that with no other leads to follow, he goes ahead and reads the trashy romance novel, right?
2: Yeah yeah I mean it was what i mean it's not immediately obvious right like uh it in in detective work that like you really ought to immerse yourself in the media that the uh, right that the that your quarry is is immersing themselves uh in right like that that's going to give you an insight. Um, An insight into them, and I think he says later on in the section that we're reviewing that this is this is sort of subversive and uh, makes him worried a little bit that they were in the that they, that she was into this uh, into this book.
0: Well, uh, with that, Matt, what is your uh, your panel for the panel?
2: I like the pimp getting his head smashed. <laughs> it's uh, I mean it combines uh, it combines a lot of things. Like uh, it's a technique that we've seen a bunch of times in this. Um, uh, in this series already even in just this these first six chapters that uh that you'll arrive at a large panel and this isn't a, a full blade this is full bleed this isn't a full uh page but it is most of the uh it is most of the frame in uh, uh or sorry this frame is uh most of the um You know, uh, most of the page, and it's uh, uh, it's just a punctuation mark on the uh, you know on the end of a long uh, build up. And again, like with the the exploding head, he gets uh, you know he gets the mountain with the uh, with the the, with the exploding head. It really conveys a sense of of motion, right? Both the kind of the power and like the dynamic force of uh, the will's hands squeezing together, and also. So the the outward explosion of uh, all the gore that um, that you see there. And I think you even see in the corner of the frame his his sort of smarmy smile that has been his biggest characteristic with his his big toothy grin uh, and his square head. Uh, I think you see his like square mandible uh, flying off to the left.
1: Yeah. And there are a lot of teeth in there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's just very satisfying because you feel like he, he very richly, you feel like he very richly deserves it. And yet it's also, it's a, it's a case of the, the sort of thing we talked about, uh, last time. Um, there, there's, uh, uh, there's a special case of the principal-agent problem that um, where where you sort of exact your vengeance on the agent rather than on the principal, right? And it's it's you know yeah right. It's like hey, Mister the will, right? Don't uh, don't crush the head of the messenger. you know uh it's right it's this sort of the intergalactic system of exploitation that you have a a problem with not with this guy this sort of uh smarmy guy with the bad ears and the the square head and the giant grin in particular he just happens to be the the guy standing in front of you who bears the brunt of your displeasure yeah Uh,
1: it doesn't even solve the problem as we as we see later on yeah as
2: we just right as we discover later because there's always a boss, right like the everybody has a boss right like and and the bosses the bosses have bosses and this is an interesting i mean this is an interesting thing in the structure of agency that we're talking about where there you can kind of imagine concentric circles or you can ima- i mean you can image it in in a lot of a lot of different ways you can um I like Jordan's sort of image of the kind of the screens within screens within screens uh, that you get when you when you read this on an electronic device because there's a book on your screen and and on that there's a robot with a screen who's reading a book and very often like uh, Prince Robot will have screen will have images on his screen um, you know and it's it's already becoming clear that some of them are sort of troubling and uh, kind of arise unbidden when he's thinking about things um, the images on on uh prince robot the fourth's screen and and that like uh you know that with that you can imagine like s- screen after screen after screen like everything in a in a series of screens and you just happen to be uh looking at the one you're looking at at the time and uh crushing its head i suppose <laughs> well
3: I guess so the thing that, uh... i wanted to say uh, there's a thing I wanted to say about that image, actually, since it comes up. I think that what what really sells the power of it is when you look at what the will's hands look like when he's gotten through with this, he's clapped them so that they are perfectly touching each other. right? He didn't just push it into the guy's head. His hands are skin on skin, and his fingers are separated, Like he didn't even need to make fists, right? His hands apart. And he didn't need to like swing from back at his shoulders. He had his hands like, you know, on the guy's head and just sort of clapped them. Like, the way the strength that it conveys is that this was not even hard for him, right? Like, he did that easily as you would swat a fly.
2: Yeah, and he has a kind of a disgusted look on his face, but not really a look of exertion or like strenuous effort.
1: (laughs) Right. I think it's also interesting that uh, in a panel where hands are so important, they're kind of the the vehicle of action. Um, the the pimp has hands that only have four fingers, in contrast to uh, yeah, Mickey. To I mean, the will,
2: Mickey Mouse style.
1: It also Mickey Mouse style that he's yeah. like not you know as real a person.
2: Sure. Um,
1: panel as uh, as the will.
2: He also like he has his hands up in the previous two panels above, and yeah. so he hasn't even had time. This has happened with such blinding uh, quickness, right? That he hasn't even really had time to move his hands from uh, from from where they are. And there's actually his pinky. I'm not sure if it's a pinky if you are a, if you are a four fingered uh, comic book character. But <laughs> but there's a nice little detail of his pinky, his right pinky, fully extended, halfway bent, and then totally. Bent. totally down yeah in the three in the three sequences which is just a nice little naturalistic twitch uh nice little naturalistic uh detail um uh, that you i haven't even noticed till now since we've been kind of staring at this panel for a minute but ben i think we're all taking away from your time
0: oh no worries at all uh this is actually somewhat related kind of the from the strength of the will to the vulnerability of the will the the panel that i had is uh the one that just after he's found out that the stalk has been murdered. There's kind of three panels in sequence that shows his reaction uh, but it's the one with uh, the will with his head in his hands and a lying cat giving him a very sympathetic expression. Uh, I like this just because it's a nice little personal moment uh, that like the I'm very impressed. We talked about last week with how much emotion they're able to give into lying cat, even though he only says one word and has cat face emotions. <laughs> but you still have this this one panel that just really conveys kind of the relationship between these two and the, the grief that the will is feeling uh, all without any words, which I think is a, a pretty impressive feat. So I really like this uh, this panel after seeing the that he can just crush a man's head with, you know, the slightest little twitch of his hands. It's nice to see that he's also someone who feels grief and has these, you know, strong emotions and vulnerability.
2: I mean, maybe this is pushing it a little bit too far, but do you notice that his, he- his head is in his own hands?
3: Oh. Right? Like yeah, he's... sure. Absolutely. Is this the equivalent of him, like, sitting with a gun in his mouth, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, does, does, while he's doing that, does he have to be thinking, like, now be careful, don't squeeze too hard. <laughs> yeah. like, you don't want to squeeze your own head shut.
2: Don't crush your own head. <laughs>
0: Well,
1: it's maybe maybe it's like how you can't tickle yourself.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, because you know yeah, you know it's coming. Yeah. You know you'd always move your head out of the way when you know <laughs> that your hands are right are coming to uh, are coming to tickle you, yeah, interesting. I mean, in that panel, like uh fully a quarter of it is just like a wall or something, and so the the camera, the sort of notional camera or the the viewer's eye uh, you know for which the art is a proxy right is sort of positioned around the corner, so there 's something voyeuristic about this middle panel in particular rather than the uh, rather than the two before, which are right on the axis. Um, of, of him, you know, here we're kind of off to the side and peering around and gives it gives it the sense of something that's that's private, you know, or something that's sort of uh, secret withdrawn uh, from from view.
0: Right. And then it's followed by this great shot of just the ship floating out into space. So you have this real sense of the camera kind of moving out from his face all the way out into kind of the wide shot.
2: And, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's funny, like this, this is a technique that happens a lot in saga. And I think when, one of the things that it shows is that like at a certain, at a certain scale, we're all very isolated. It reminds me of what, what astronauts say, uh, you know, and I've sort of heard more than one talk about it. I think there's pro- I can't remember who it is, but it's, uh, there's one sort of famous statement of this, that when you are in space and you look down from a great distance at the earth, uh, uh, such a great distance that the earth looks small, uh, in your view. And you realize that the sum total, not only of everything that you care about, but that everything, uh, but of everything that everybody cares about is contained within this small little ball. Uh, it, uh, you know, far, far away, it gives you a sense of perspective. And I mean, that's, you know, that's the, uh, you know, that's the idea of the wide shot, right? Like that, that, um, uh, it gives a it gives a sense of like uh, it establishes a sense of place, but it also sort of uh, it establishes a dichotomy between um, figure and ground, right? Between like person and context, uh, and and here it seems to it seems to be always used to make the person seem small relative to the context.
0: But I think the, the the version I've seen of that is is a picture taken from Apollo eleven of the moon in the foreground and the Earth in the background, and apparently it was taken. While the astronauts that actually landed on the moon were on the moon, so there's only one guy in the capsule at the time, and so it's the only human not in this picture is Michael Collins.
1: Huh. <laughs> oh, that's he was, funny. He was,
0: he was he was alone out past out past the moon, looking back at you know the other two astronauts and uh, the Earth, which is a, a pretty brilliant uh, pretty brilliant summation. And it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where there's the uh, the machine that shows you the entire expanse of the universe yeah. and then shows you your place in it, and right. this is like the worst torture in the world because it will drive anyone insane to realize how small you are.
2: Compared I don't know. I went in. Total
1: perspective vortex.
2: Yeah, I went in. It told me I was a pretty hoopy fruit.
1: <laughs> exactly i've got something to I've, I've got i've got some bad news for you <laughs> uh
2: by the way just a little little side note you notice how Hoopy in hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy transitions from a noun to a verb over the course of the series that's just yeah. you know that's just bad language design
1: well got verb. i know. it's actually it's actually pretty accurate
2: <laughs> i guess that does yeah like like shakespeare verbing it with nouns and adjectives
1: <laughs> yep well, with the uh, with
0: the the will and lion cat, let me jump into our first uh, our first topic here, and it, it's kind of introduced by Hazel in narration when we're talking about partnerships and how they take work in order in order to happen. I think there's a lot of interesting partnerships going on uh, in this, and I just kind of wanted to throw that out first for uh, for general discussion about uh, what what's interesting about partnerships in these three chapters and why do they take so much work?
2: Well, let me throw a question out about this specifically. Do you feel like that narration is accurate to what is actually going on in, in the moment? Right. Like, cause at this point we, we still think it's like cool brothel planet, right? Mm-hmm. Like Ly- there's, you know, Lioncat says, uh, you know, uh, the will says you wouldn't have had fun anyway. Lioncat says lying. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and to say that like good partnerships take work, it's not necessarily the same to say like good partnerships take work as it is to say that like sometimes you can't go into the cool brothel planet because you're a cat. Uh, and just what, the, what what do you feel like the relationship between those two non-equivalent contentions is?
3: I think you might say, no, go
0: on. I think what's kind of going on there is that the will is not putting the work that he should be into this partnership right now because he's just like, all right, I'm going to go into the cool brothel planet and Kat, you, I guess, I don't know, stay in the valet parking lot and don't get in any (laughs) trouble.
2: That's really interesting because you're you're saying that rather than being an example of it's it's a counterexample of of what Hazel is claiming rather than being an example of what Hazel is cl- claiming that that uh, Lioncat is doing the right thing by you know foregoing a good time so that uh, uh, so that the will can have a good time um, I don't know Jordan what were you what were you gonna gonna propose.
3: Well, I was going to say that, uh, I mean, it depends on the kind of partnership you're talking about, but in a way, Will being a bad partner in this instance means that Lion Cat has the chance to be a good partner, right? Like, for it to be a good partnership, one of them is going to have to step up real big here. Because the will has let Lioncat down, Lioncat then needs to step up to the plate and, like, be willing to take the gun belt back to the ship and not make a big stink about it. That's not fair to Lioncat, but the partnership is strong because one of them is willing to carry the weight. And I think that's what makes a partnership different from other kinds of uh, of collaboration, is that kind of, like... You, the, the two of you are responsible for this one thing, and you carry each other when you slip. Huh.
0: I'm studying for the bar right now, so the only thing I know about partnerships is that uh, partners are liable for the other person's torts and contracts, so you need to watch out for these sorts of things.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that I mean, the, the partnership that they're pivoting to is the partnership of a marriage, right? Which is. Uh, like, that, that's the particular one that I was thinking of when I said that, that you're, you're sort of supposed to, like, uh, have each other's back when one or the other of you is not able to to act as one should. A, a, a partnership like that of the writer and the artist on a comic book would be a very different sort of thing, right? Like, if uh, if only one of those gets to go to the cool brothel planet, then you'll have a fairly dull issue of the comic,
2: yeah, I guess I mean I'm not married, but I know that that Ben and Jordan, you are. Uh, you know, do you find that you have a lot of luck uh, convincing your wives that you need to go to the cool brothel planet?
0: <laughs> yeah, not not so much on that specifically.
2: I see, got it. <laughs> but got uh, it.
0: The, there, there is something to the idea of when the part of being a good partnership is that when one person kind of slacks, the other person picks it up. There there are definitely moments where. You know, if I'm particularly busy was busy with something, uh, my wife is kind enough to kind of take up some extra work around the house or cook dinner or things like that that normally we'd split 50 fifty. When it's final season, she kind of takes on more. And then if she's got a particularly busy at work, busy week at work, then I kind of take on more. So you kind of have that give or take of and I, that's a trivial example, and then I'm talking about just like household stuff. But I think it also applies emotionally. You know, when one person is having a really, really tough day, it's kind of up to the other person to, to uh, be to, the strength or whatever. The other person <laughs> to
2: to talk to my mother on the phone or is that just me
0: <laughs> <laughs> that might just be I don't know. <laughs> well certainly talking to your mother this is something that neither me nor my wife is really uh takes much responsibility for
2: so. no yeah I, I, I thought we were partners ben i thought we were podcasting <laughs> partners um uh, i think no, it's interesting
1: it, that uh the will could have made a moral stand here um you know he could have argued uh in favor of of he could have argued harder at first he was like oh no she uh Linecat's my sidekick, you know. She has just as much right. And then as as soon as he's interrupted, he's like, "Um, you know, there might there, there might not be uh, it, this might not be where I the hill I want to die on." Um which <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we find we find that hill a little bit later on this planet. But like he could have he could have made that moral stand here a little harder and he doesn't. And uh cat also doesn't really argue so it, 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 it's just interesting like it's played it's played this scene is played for played for comedy, and it kind of does present a contrast a little bit later where he's like all right this is this is where i'm going to do something drastic
0: well it's it's worth thinking about kind of you know this this bit where he says you know the law says that lion cat has just as much right as the will yeah. does, you know certainly we can imagine that if you know, any one of us or any, any person in modern society is going into a bar with a friend of a different racial group and the bar says, no, sorry, white people only, then we would presumably die on that hill. Like that would exactly. be a stand that we would certainly expect any moral person to make, like not going into that bar at that point, um, instead of just being like, Oh, sorry, we'll see you when we get out. Like that would right. be
2: something that we would expect people. to <laughs> yeah, I guess someone's the designated driver. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so well, I, I don't know if that, <laughs> uh, know if that says something scene. about lion cat status in the universe, or if that just says something about the will personally. You know, we don't right. know enough yet about this universe to know kind of what what is expected, at least in polite society, when it comes to the the rights and responsibilities of lion cats.
1: Right. Like, is is Sextillian actually uh, discriminating d- against lion cat deliberately, or really just doesn't understand? Um and it reminds me of uh, the the cantina in Star Wars, where like droids get out, no droids. We never really explained why, and there's really again no argument. They're like, no, these are these droids are you know with us, and they're coming in, and it's like, all right, wait outside. The same the same kind of thing, the same kind of thing here. There's, there isn't a lot there isn't a lot of um, questioning this policy.
3: You know, I have to say, there was uh, in the the questions that uh, that Pete threw up in the forum what was the will looking for on Sextillion? I think he's burying the lead there. What was it that Lioncat was looking for on Sextillion? (laughs) What what kind of good time? Because, you know, I have also never been to uh, the the brothel planet, but I have to imagine that, like, going into a brothel and knowing the truth behind everything and everyone there would be a real grim experience. (laughs) Apparently, is going to have a good time. I don't know.
2: I mean I guess I you, you got to wonder about the extent of lying cats powers right is it just to spot lies is it like a binary thing um, like what is the data type here is it a boolean value where it's like true or false and so like you can you can spot uh, you can spot all the false statements but you don't necessarily know the truth until someone says the truth and uh, you know it's not false and therefore true or is it that uh, that lying cat can suss out the actual story by Behind everything because that that would indeed uh, that would indeed be uh, 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 very grim, especially in a in a situation like this where you know sexual exploitation seems to attend the devastation of of a horrific war um, unless
1: she's into that
2: <laughs> unless Lioncat cat is into that you mean yeah. is in yeah is into human misery and suffering. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I guess after you know, I'd be into human misery and suffering if someone uh, tried to kick me out of the cool brothel planet. <laughs> I mean, is it cool? What exactly is going on in Sextillion anyway? Right? Like, it? <laughs> it's it seems like. You know, I mean it seems uh, but I guess it's it's drawing, it seems very picturesque, it seems very visually oriented. But I mean, what's I think what's trying to to be conveyed here is I mean, a sense of excess, a sense of sort of uh ultimate indulgence. Um and is it me or is the will sparking up as he walks through I mean oh, is, yeah, he's does, totally he's doing a J, right? Oh yeah. yeah. As he uh as he walks through this so like you know already like he he came here but he you know already after just descending the golden staircase where in the uh in the angel winged people are copulating um, or i guess i guess these are the landfallians right because they're uh uh because they have wings um they they're uh, all copulating right like he's like he's already like uh, dude i need to chill out a little bit <laughs> like uh you know let's let's burn one but um yeah, the uh, uh, I I don't I don't know I mean like what what is this sur- supposed to sort of represent in the context of of everything we've seen?
3: It feels like uh, in one way it's like Vegas, uh, as Vegas is sort of presented to you, often in movies where there's this very glitzy, shiny, attractive surface to it, and then about two-thirds of the way through, like, Joe Pesci is stabbing people with a pen, and suddenly you're not happy to be in Vegas anymore, right? Right. Um. And I've been, having been to casinos myself, I find that, like, as you are sort of walking into the lobby, you get that kind of shiny, glittery feeling, and then you take a breath in through your nose and, like, the accumulated years of cigarette smoke and human misery, like, punch you in the sinus. And very, very quickly, you're in Joe Pesci land. But so that, that was sort of the art that it was doing for me. It, I mean, I don't really have experience with, uh, with brothel planets, again, but it felt a lot like a casino.
0: This, I think I think that's right because there's also something about just like pure sensory overload that like there's just so much going on in every frame that and you know what you don't you don't know if he's been to this particular planet before but you get the sense that he's been in this sort of place before and so at at a certain point that sensory overload just kind of becomes nothing. You know at, at a certain point you can 't look at all the bright and neon lights, and all you see is just kind of the dirt and grime underneath
2: there 's a good frame of him walking down the the staircase of of uh, of angel copulation where uh you know where he has this sort of grim look on his face he 's not looking left he 's not looking right he 's positioned in the center of frame like walking straight at us on the axis and it's it's uh, while you know while all manner of all manner of shenanigans and tomfoolery are are transpiring. Um, in in uh, the four middle and background and he 's uh he 's just unmoved by it you can another thing from casinos you can sort of you can imagine what the soundtrack of this environment is right like you can imagine the loud blaring edm or something over the <laughs> uh, uh, over the sound system and why you know why, why it's uh, and, and why it 's even more of a uh, even more of an accomplishment that he is so unmoved by everything and not even like plugging his ears or anything, you know? he's Yeah.
0: The, the look on his face actually reminds me of like the guy walking past the, the, uh, the video poker machines. Like those are shiny. Those are beeping. But I like, I'm, I I know better. I'm just going to walk right on past. Like that's, that's for the suckers and the tourists. So I'm, yeah. I've yeah. got something else on my mind. Exactly. Well, that's, that's like,
2: Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, that's like me. I, I like to shoot craps. And so, you know, until you get to the craps table, it's not... Uh... Uh,
1: obviously, he came here thinking that it would make him feel better. But from the very beginning, he doesn't. He, he's, he's unaffected by everything. Even, even you know, when he's trying to get in, he's like, still, he's into it, right? Like, he really wants to get in there to the point where he's willing to, to let Cat get left behind immediately as he walks in everything is boring to him like he's completely uninterested in absolutely everything that he sees um to the point like to, like you said he's got to light one up because he's just so you know it, it's just not doing it for him and one really wonders like what he expected to be there
2: yeah that he's not uh that he's not into he's not into anything. I mean, yeah. he's, you know, he's sad about the stock, right? Um, Pete, Pete's like corollary to question in, in, uh, the overthinking at forums where he posted a couple of reading questions. Um, you know, uh preliminary to this episode was, you know, what was he looking for? Does he find it? And I think we have to say that like, yes, he finds it because he sort of finds a reason to live, right? Like mm. he, he does come back to life uh, a little bit in that he cares about something again, right? Like he, he gets, uh, his engine is, is, is started again right like and i i I don't suppose you go to a brothel looking to take a moral stand but like hey what you know whatever floats your boat the will you know the if 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 pimp head smashing is what does it for you um you know right like and and uh rescuing um rescuing the young girl i mean i do want to like spend a a little moment if you guys are willing on the question of like uh you know you're a freelancer you you murder children you know right like and and the the pimps claim uh that is um that you know the sexual exploitation is somehow not as bad as just outright killing people um which is right which is bad on which is uh uh b s on its face right because it's that like it's that uh a sort of childhood logic of like, well, you're bad, so I must be good, right? Like, you're doing the bad thing, I'm not doing the bad thing, so my my thing is good. When in fact, like, you know, we are, our imaginations are capacious enough to to realize that many things can be bad, right? It can be bad. It can be bad to uh, exploit, enslave, uh, murder people in in all manner of ways. And uh, and the the one thing doesn't make it. The one thing doesn't doesn't make it good, but. But there is there is a uh, sort of – there would be a different way of framing this that um, – there would be a different way of framing this that I think would be a little more trenchant, which is less, hey, you know, this isn't as bad as that because that's crap. But where do you get off,
1: right? right? I think that's what he's trying to point out, the hypocrisy, rather than that I'm – rather than that this is okay and what you do is bad. Uh, the pimp is saying, well, we're – Only God can judge me. Like we were... You know? Yeah, or
2: maybe like even how, how do, even why, if. Why are
1: you so angry? Why are you in particular so angry about this thing in particular?
2: Yeah, it's not even only God can judge me. It's like, hey, maybe there are people who can judge me, but like you are like not among. Not yeah, yeah you are know. not among their number. Right, right,
0: right. Well, and there is something to the fact that the will makes no claim to like special moral status for his job because it, oh, yeah. it's it's two professionals. You know, the will is a professional killer, and the pimp is a professional like pederast who who peddles and flesh. And but the will makes no claims that what he does is moral when he when he kills someone, whereas the pimp appears to be making some sort of argument that you know the, the pimp I think makes the oh is it so wrong to make love to a child, which is just like gross on a bunch of different levels, but it, it implies that the pimp thinks there's something moral or okay about this relationship uh, because of you know whatever the laws of the sextillion are or you know their weird contract with the uncle or whatever the case may be
2: yeah it's still i mean it's something like what jordan said about the casino but but i maybe there's even a different kind of movement rather than going from like a a glitzy surface to a kind of an undercurrent of sort of desperation or you know misery it's it's from it's from like a a surface level it's from an in inconsequential depravity to a, to a existential depravity, right. To like a, to a still greater and, and profounder, uh, uh, depravity that, that seems, you know, that is, that is horrifying, right? Like he says, uh, you know, the, the pimp guy says, let's go deeper. And he's, uh, you know, this is the inner core and, and, you know, it, it's, you know, right. Like behind the, you know, behind the, the glitzy exterior is not merely ordinary human misery, right? Like it's not merely desperation. It's, uh, it's like child rape, right it's it 's like the worst thing you can you can imagine um, is what undergirds this rather than rather than being kind of conventional and kind of a bummer it's uh, it 's uh you know awful and just the the biggest bummer you can imagine
0: the The will kind of subscribes to sort of a prison mindset around this. Uh, I have not been to prison or a, or a brothel planet, but uh, my understanding is that sexual predators and in particular sexual predators of children face a particularly violent and difficult time in prison. Because even the murderers, you know, even the multiple murderers, the hardened criminals in for life, look down their noses at the child rapists and go out of their way to make their life difficult. And so the will appears to subscribe to it, at least that level of, I don't know if you want to call it morality, but at least that that thinking around uh, criminal conduct and, and the relative uh, immorality of different acts.
2: I wonder if there's a relationship between this and what happens after, which is uh, Marco and Alana get discovered, and Marco, who sort of claimed to be a pacifist, right, pulls his sword out and says, you know, we fight. Yep. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, that I'm glad you mentioned yeah.
1: that. That's something that I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, I, I think there definitely is, you know, that, that Marco did claim to be a pacifist uh, near the beginning. I think that a couple of things that surprised me are that one, that he breaks that vow so early in the series, right? Like, that could have been a big, big deal thing, but it's really not played off as that big a deal. It comes pretty early, and he—really, all, all, all it takes is their lives to be threatened, and he uh, he breaks his, his vow of pacifism, um, which— Really, if your lives aren't threatened, you don't need to be a pacifist or or you don't need to be violent right like you don't need the kind of vow uh to not not to commit violence unless your life is threatened or like you do expect to be in the kind of situations where you need to you know uh but also um it's not it doesn't seem like later on, it seems like it wasn't a moral decision for him. Like his his choice to be uh to, to, to forswear violence isn't because he thinks that violence is terrible. But it seems like it's because he can't control himself once he gets started.
2: Yeah, and, and that we see that later in his uh uh when he's uh, uh taken out everyone um, who comes to? Who come to uh, get him with with uh, at, at the behest of of four or the right. fourth or Prince Robot the fourth right like and the the frames the background literally turns red you know in this kind of expressionistic way and he's um, you know it's very it's it's very badass right like and this is actually like contrast this to the contrast this to the will right like who is who is sort of stony faced. Uh, right. as he does it like you know Mar- marco is and he's not super professional about it right like he's he's uh cutting with his sword he's he's kicking he's headbutting um you know he's a, he's uh until alana right and this is another like partnership thing right like the the you know that your your partner sort of saves you from your worst excesses or, or right. sort of your partner kind of makes up uh, for, uh, you know, deficiencies in, and not deficiencies. I don't want to moralize it like that. But, but, you know, you have relative strengths and weakness in your own personality and your partner has relative strengths and weakness in their, in their own personality. And, and, uh, and yeah, they can, you know, hopefully in a good partnership, complement each other. And that's sort of what happens here, right? When, when Alana says, dear, that's enough and shoots him with the heartbreaker.
0: I I think Richard, I had the same reaction you did to uh, kind of Chekhov's vow here. The the idea that what you know, if a character makes a vow, yeah. the question is when is it going to be broken. I was surprised as well that it was uh, broken so early, and I guess part of that might be thinking about the medium. You know, I have three books, so I'm thinking of this in terms of 18 volumes, and so I'm kind of expecting the vow to be broken at the end of those volumes. But of course, these were released serially, and so there's not really like a conventional beginning and end in the same sense as like a novel or a finished work. And uh, the, actually the first thing that came to mind, my uh, my, my compare from is, uh, have you guys seen the movie The Rundown starring uh, The Rock? Huh. No. Yeah, uh, it's a fantastic movie, uh, mo- probably most notable for the uh, speech about the tooth fairy from Christopher Walken. But uh, in The Rundown, The Rock has a has vowed not to use guns at any point. Uh, and it just, he just kind of alludes to the fact that it gets ugly when he uses guns. And then, of course, at the end of the movie in the big, set piece when he has to save the villagers from Christopher Walken's evil gang. He uses guns and it's completely badass and he destroys everyone using guns. Uh, but that, of course, it waits for the last act. It's kind of the culmination of all these promises that has been made throughout the, the movie about, oh, I'm never going to use guns. Whereas here we get it pretty suddenly that, okay, no, Marco's going to break that vow and he's going to kill a bunch of people.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is you know serial, like you said, but uh, clearly it's expected to go on longer than this. Like at the point where, uh, you know, he, the, the, the creators know very well that it's not going to stop here. There's no, there's no end. Uh, th- there isn't even a place where you can say, well, if we get canceled, this is a good place to end <laughs> <laughs> even without any resolution. Um, so I think it's, a, it's another one of those things where, where, where they're undermining the kind of conventional narratives uh, in in comics, and uh, I mean in general, I think. But like like we were like we were talking about a little bit last week. Um, this does this is a comic book that's more about character than plot, and so similarly, they're uh, undermining more uh, more of those conventions and showing. This thing about him is that, okay, he made this vow, we're not sure yet under what circumstances, um, but uh, uh, evidently he's the kind of person who is willing to break this vow relatively, you know, for for relatively, not low stakes, um, because their lives are threatened, but he's he's not gonna, he's not willing to put his family's uh, life at risk For this vow
2: that he made. Yeah, well I mean it's well I mean that's it that's it we would sort of expect that of a parent, right? Like that that's expectable Sort of expectable behavior, but I think this i mean i I'd, I'd propose that this is setting up the climax of breaking the sword right that ra- rather than this being the climax that that breaking the sword is actually the the sort of thing that we're headed for and in these like in these sort of in the serialization of this it's released in six episodes uh, six uh, book stretches, six chapter stretches, and then there's a, there's a sort of hiatus like a television season break uh, between each one which is what and then the the trade paperbacks usually come out at the end of the at the end of the hiatus so there is like even in these first uh six chapters there is an arc of like getting to the rock from hazel being born to getting to the rocket ship you know um and uh and, and I think also another uh, like a uh, character moment climaxes is breaking the sword, where it's like, uh, you know, no, I really mean it. I mean it this time, no more <laughs> no more violence, right um, yeah. there's,
3: a, there's a really interesting thing that he says there, which is that like as long as he has the sword, he's going to find a reason to use it, right right yeah, I mean I was, I was thinking.
2: You know, when when you have a hammer, everything looks like a pimp's head that you want to smash in.
3: (laughs) You don't need a hammer. Exactly. (laughs) Well,
2: Well, I mean, maybe you don't.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was thinking, you know, I read it. I read these issues twice. Uh, coming into this podcast, and the first time when Marco breaks the chain on his sword and says, we're going to fight, it felt like, oh, they're really outnumbered. This is like last-ditch effort. They're in big trouble. He's like, well, circumstances are desperate enough that I'm going to take my sword out. Reading it again, knowing that he's about to mop the floor with all of them, I kind of got a different read on it, which is that oh, wait a minute. He's really, really good at this. This is not difficult for him. Right? It's more a situation where, like, it's like, uh, like you vowed never to ever drink coffee at Starbucks again, but you've got an unlimited, like, Starbucks gift card in your wallet, and you're flying into the Denver airport, and you really need coffee, and the only thing that's there is the Starbucks. You're like, well, you know, I really want a coffee. I've got this unlimited card. Like, I'm going to get the coffee now. The only way that you're not going to use that thing is if you break it. That uh, that like it's because he is such a badass. Actually, that the vow is meaningful. It's not like a quixotic thing. Like, oh, I just don't want to fight anymore, right? It's like I'm fighting is kind of my purpose. It's like Mozart saying, I'm not going to write music anymore. I'm just going to be a dad.
0: So if I'm hearing you correctly, if I sacrifice my Starbucks gift card in the Denver airport, I can get on the plane for free. <laughs> that, that's a necessary prerequisite to getting on, getting yeah, on any sort can... of conveyance device.
3: <laughs> I think so. No. You know, I should have picked a less attractive place to be than Denver. <laughs> so they could
2: see <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it's even darker than that, Ben. You have to sacrifice your Starbucks gift card to get on the automated shuttle to the baggage claim.
3: What <laughs> 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 right? right. You don't drive an automated shuttle to the baggage claim. You ride it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so this chapter, chapter five, has three has sort of three instances of this that I'm just now, as we're talking about them, realizing kind of rhyme with each other. One is Marco's family being being threatened, uh, and him him uh, you know, um, I think not killing everyone, but but knocking everyone out. Uh, right? Like is that the is that the the
0: um,
1: no, I'm pretty sure he killed no a bunch they, of people. They,
2: he, he, I
0: think he's on the verge of it, but because he, he, well, he, he cast this the... binding spell later that I think like binds their wounds or whatever
2: before they. So die. Naka, yeah. So like uh, I'm I'm reading the panels now uh, after the... I think
1: that he killed at least some of them, and he was uh, contemplating killing the rest of them.
2: Okay, so here's 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 what I read for what it's worth. Uh, cut off a hand kick a guy in the face, kick a guy, punch a guy in the face, cut off a wing, uh, Throw another guy around and elbow a guy in the face. Oh, sorry, uh, uh, elbow a guy, headbutt a guy, and then they're all they're all down. He's about to raise his sword to cut off everybody's head when when Alana shoots him. So I think I mean right like, and I think that it's important. I, my guess after l- looking at this is that they don't die, and and actually I think I'll convince you when when I finished. The second the second thing is that Mama's son threatens to. Uh, uh, uh threatens to kill lion cat right because her family and you know forgive me for for trivializing it by even comparing the thing but uh her her family is um is threatened by the will you know tra- taking her little little girl away right and then the third one is uh, the the proximate cause of uh, Prince Robot uh, shooting the stock is that um, he thinks about being a father, which is the information that we got very early in this. And there's a little baby rattle that pops up on his screen, which I think is supposed to represent what uh, is going across his mind. Um, and when the when the soldier he's with says she's, she's reaching for something, he thinks about his family, thinks about his position as a dad and kind of wanting to see the baby that his his wife is pregnant with and uh, and then shoots her and kills her. Um, and I think it's important because I think these three need to be different, right? The the sort of the threat, the uh, knocking them out and then um, shooting a whole uh, between the spider breasts of the stalk, uh, that, right. That, and that these, these all three are based on the, the sort of thing, like having the unit disrupted or having the unit threatened and all three involve like a young, like a very junior member of the unit, right? Hazel, uh, the unborn robot baby or, um, Sof- uh, the slave girl whose name we learn later and, and, uh, or maybe we learn it now. Her name's Sophie, spoiler alert. Um, The, uh, you know, that, that this is an interesting, right. It's, it's sort of three of these things. It's a recapitulation in three different registers of this, this same sort of theme.
3: It's also very interesting that you end up with, uh, these two new fathers, In a sense, because you can already see that the the will is sort of zeroing in on a father role to uh, to slave girl uh, who are chasing, chasing our central family unit around. Right. Like everybody, everybody's raising kids. It's a very, very weird thing for a comic book to be about.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's That's interesting.
0: Well, it's a particularly weird thing for a comic book full of smashing heads and like talking, head, you know, talking head, sexy heads on sexy legs with nothing in
2: between. Right. And it's, it's, I mean, it's funny, right? Like, cause one of the early panels was a talking head between, uh, between Alana's sexy legs, right? Like, well, uh, her birth giving, <laughs> her birth giving legs anyway, right? Like, and that, uh, that I think there really is a distinction between the kind of like, between sort of generative sexuality and, and sort of recreational, um, recreational sexuality but the, the next book chapter 6 begins once upon a time each of us uh, was somebody's kid right um, that, that you know that the, the idea that like the idea that like this cycle is the is kind of the most central the most central one one to life of sort of you know being born growing up and then uh, procreating and, and creating the next um, the next generation
0: well, before we wrap, let me let me transition us into into another topic here because we ha- and I think we've already touched on this a little bit, but uh, the idea of monsters and the the different re- relative monsters here because I think what one thing that's interesting about saga is that of course we have moral monsters, you know, the the will as compared to the pimp as compared to some of our, our protagonists, uh, but we also kind of have a, a menagerie of you know quote unquote biological monsters like all these. Just, you know, wrote from alligator butlers to these the crazy heads on legs. These would all be monsters in almost any other context, but Saga is kind of a universe populated by nothing but monsters. Uh, yeah. He, he, even somebody like Marco sees himself as a monster, for even for doing something that most of us see as being moral. You know, he's defending himself and his family. He still kind of sees himself as a monster for kind of losing control in this situation.
1: Yeah, and the Will, who's the person who seems the most... The most human physically um, is one of the least moral characters that we've seen so far
2: yeah I mean we you know
1: he's the mo- he's the most morally monstrous uh even though we see that that even he has uh you know red lines as it were that that draw him back from being being a complete uh from being a complete monster, but he looks very much. You know the most, the most human, the least. He looks the least monstrous of pretty much any of the characters.
3: Yeah, I mean, so far his moral monstrousness is something we've pretty much just been told about, right? In right. that he's taken a assassination contract on the protagonist. Well, that's not a great thing to do. But as of right now, I would have a hard time believing that if he was in a room with them, he would pull the trigger. I'm guessing that, like, that may change. I think that's basically the point of the all caps, uh, that he's a effing monster <laughs> that Hazel tells us. But, like, so far, we've only seen him do good things um whereas prince robot who in many ways seems like a he's sort of being set up as a better person than the will right he's not a not a monster we're not told he's a monster has already done a whole bunch of really questionable stuff because he's a traumatized combat vet right and has some real PTSD issues that he's working through but right now i kind of see them as like they're they're sort of shaping up on a like they're a chaotic good lawful evil dichotomy of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, mm. good. Except except that the, the one who is the lawful evil doing something like, you know, shooting shooting in his role as a officer, someone who wasn't actually drawing a weapon on him, right? That's, that's sort of a lawful, evil kind of thing to do. Um, but he seems like he's actually basically deep down a good guy, whereas uh, the Will, who is like rescuing a child from sexual bondage, which is a very good thing to do, we have kind of been told that he's probably actually evil.
2: Well the freelancers i mean like one of the one of the things that defines this world is allegiance to one of the sides in the war, and the freelancers are freelancers right like they 're defined by no allegiance or they 're defined by allegiance to the highest bidder um, and uh, special agent Gale says you know like look you can 't kill the freelancers because even we use them um, and it 's all talk at this point i mean it 's all kind of exposition in terms of like explaining to us that these are the real that these are the contract killers you know that these are the that these are the like Liam Neeson and Taken's of the, you know, of the, uh, the saga verse. Um, and, and we haven't, you know, necessarily really seen any like, uh, terrible moral depravity or, or anything, but, um, uh, from the freelancers yet, but that's, that's like one of the, one of the things that makes them, that sort of makes the monsters is that they're not, their loyalty is, is for sale.
0: Well, in that sense, they're they're related in yet another way to the the pimps on Sextillion, because we learn that uh, they are also kind of middlemen. That they say, as soon as the wings and horns finish up with the planet, we start recruiting. That they're that both the freelancers and the the people, the the kind of the slavers on Sextillion, are middlemen in this conflict between the two sides. And really only the system wins this war. Neither side is ever going to win. So really only these kind of scavengers that, that profit off of the system are ever going I to mean,
2: win. I mean, the winner is the economy, right?
0: <laughs> I guess
2: so. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah or it's almost like not economic, but ecological, right? You sort of feel like, well, uh, when, when the tree falls, then the ants and the fungus come in. And it's interesting that like, the, the people who are benefiting from the war are the ants and the fungus.
2: Yeah, I, I I sometimes wonder with things like I sometimes wonder with things like this, and this would be a good thing, uh you know, this would be a good thing to get everyone's um Input on in the forums, I, I wonder what the view of human nature, right, uh, is being being put forward here. Is it right? Is the is the sex planet and the and the sex slavery and the the whole kind of sense of depravity and and, uh, and contract killing and this thing. Is this the state of nature? Right. Is this the sort of natural state of humankind, or is this because there's a war and the war is so is is such a powerful force. Kind of deforming uh the psyches of of everyone whom it affects that sort of man 's inhumanity to man becomes the dominant mode of 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 human relationship right um I and and uh whether I, I'd be interested to hear from from readers who have who uh, from listeners uh, from participants in the book club in the overthinking at forums um what you think the the view of human nature being put forward here uh is because I'm not I'm not sure I have a side
0: I think we'll we'll leave it there with uh, with a good question both for the forum and for the the book club moving forward. Thanks, guys. It's been a, a gr- another great talk. Uh, we will take this back next week for uh, chapters seven through uh, nine. So uh, we will continue the discussion on the forums, and you can read all about it at www.overthinking.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Doesn't
2: deserve.